Hello, and welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by Funkinstuff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep into the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. Available in video format at Funkinstuff.net and on YouTube, Truth and Rhythm can also be enjoyed on the go its audio podcast version from Funkinstuff.net, iTunes, and most leading providers. I'm your host, Scott Dr. GX Goldfine, musicologist and author of Everything is on the One, The First Guide of Funk, you don't have your copy get on over to amazon and grab it what are you waiting for whether you're watching or listening as always i thank you very much for your continued interest and support this episode's guest is none other, none other than larry dodson who until hanging up the microphone and retiring this past december had since 1971 served as a lead singer of the barquets for almost a half century, his gritty and gutsy vocals were one of the most distinctive elements of this fiercely funky band, which enjoyed uncommon longevity with a string of 16 U.S. Top 20 R&B singles with Mercury Records between 1976 and 1989. The Memphis, Tennessee-based group also had two prior U.S. Top 10 R&B hits with Stax Records dating back to 1967. Dodson was among those brought in to help the Barquets carry onward after all but two members of the group perished in the December 1967 plane crash that also claimed the life of soul singer Otis Redding. The Barquets, mid-1970s to late-1980s run included seven U.S. Top 10 R&B albums, plus another five that made the Top 40. Among the dance floor gems contained on those records were Shake Your Rump to the Funk, which was a song in 1976 that introduced me to a lifetime of Barquet's grooving. Too Hot to Stop, Let's Have Some Fun, Holy Ghost, which was maybe their hardest sounding track ever, All Dance, Move Your Boogie Body, Hit and Run, Traffic Jammer, Freak Show on the Dance Floor, Sexomatic, Your Place or Mine, and Certified True. Although it was mostly the up-tempo material that charted, they also delivered many memorable mid-tempo numbers and ballads, including Attitudes, Anticipation, Running In and Out of My Life, and one of my all-time favorites, You Can't Run Away. Even years later, the Barquets unleashed one of the strongest funk albums of the 1990s called 48 Hours, which contained the tremendous closing track, Master. As recent as 2012, the Barquets notched yet another hit with Grown Folks. Along the journey, the band gained new fans and renewed momentum by having songs prominently, prominently placed in hit movies, such as Spies Like Us in the 1980s with Soul Figure and Superbad in 2007 with Too Hot to Stop. That speaks a lot to the ability of the Barquet's knack for keeping up and changing with the times. Heavily influenced through the years by contemporaries like the Ohio Players, Earth, Wind & Fire, Rick James, and Prince, they were not always the most original or groundbreaking band, but they were the model of consistency with just enough of their own flavor to make it unmistakably the Barquets. And exceedingly important, they never ceased bringing the real, down and dirty, authentic funk. Dotson has spent the better part of the past year on a retirement tour with the band as they searched for and named his successor. Throughout his entire amazing career, there have been two critical constants, Dotson's wife of all 47 of those years and bandmate, bass player, and brother in funk, James Alexander. 
Thanks to Dotson's son, Larry Jr., I was able to catch up with a legendary singer at his Memphis home, and on his birthday, no less, which actually was just one day after my own. I found that he still has plenty to keep him busy. He shares stories of his colorful career, including how he was mentored by producer Alan Jones, how George Clinton helped the group get ahead, and what went into many of those unforgettable hit songs. So here in a two-part series this is my special conversation with the one, the only, Larry Dotson. You know, Larry, I always thought of the band as being sort of chameleon-like, you know, as I was following the whole scene from, you know, that period. And you guys always seem to have your finger on the pulse of like the sounds that were current and were hitting at the time. So did you pay much attention to what the other bands were doing? And how did you guys kind of keep adapting your sound that way? We, we trust me, during that time, all the self-contained bands took a little from each other. <laughs> we took we took titles from each other. We uh, we uh, we we took a little bit of melodies from each other. Uh, I, I you know I don't I can't say if that was good or bad or not, but we 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 took a little things from each other. You know, we all knew each other, and I think it, at that time. Uh, Funk music, funk was funk. And if you borrowed a little bit of this from another record, it was so much of it that bands did till I, it was a certain amount of it, I think that was okay. We we might have get we might have done a little too much of it at times, but then so many bands took so much from us, you know, till it got to be okay, you know. But answer your question, the short version of yeah, we did. We we listened to other bands, you know. There were some clever things that we thought other bands did, but they listened to us a whole lot, man, and just took a whole lot of what the Barcades were doing, a lot. So we figured it was okay. You know, we swapped out a lot. We stayed we stayed relevant, you know, a lot. Alan did that a lot, and he was more, he, he did that. He would take the core of a record and say, you know, I, you know, I like this record. Uh, uh, give me something like that. Let's do something like that. And we, it was our chore to go in and do something like that and then get away from it. Yeah. You know, that's what he would say. Do this, then get away from it. That's, that would be his words. And we would, and it would be our job to do that. And you'd be surprised at some of the wrecks we did that where we actually got the original thought from. Yeah, because I would listen and I would say, oh, it reminds me of, you know, as time went on, you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Ohio Players, Rick James, Prince, it was always the Barquets, but, you know, you could definitely hear some of those influences, and I just think it also helped uh, keep the band current. And, I mean, you know, where a lot of bands fail to make that transition and, and continue success into the 80s, the Barquets did that. And I think being, you know, in tune with that really helped you succeed that way. Well, yeah, you know, uh, that's kind of been the story of the Barquets, you know, <laughs> Alan used to have a saying, he was saying, when you're daring and you think you've gone too far, you're halfway there. <laughs> and that's kind of been the story of how we were, man. You know, whenever we did something, when we, whether it was when we got a little too outlandish on our clothes, we would notice that the other bands would start to do stuff and we would, we would color our hair, our hair was white or it was yellow. Or, 
or we would start to use fire and smoke on stage. They didn't. Well, they did. The only thing they didn't do, they didn't use a snake. Or when we would start to get a little too close to certain other songs, other bands felt that they wouldn't. They wouldn't go as close as we would, you know. And and consequently, we would have hit after hit after hit after hit after hit. And they would have, I guess, their pride or whatever. <laughs> but they would have, they wouldn't have the hits, and they would be working for five thousand dollars a night, and we'd be working for fifty thousand dollars a night. So you know, I understood it, but you know, we were the bar case. We were quite satisfied in who we were. We know we wasn't giving up anything. And some of the bands kind of caught on to it and said, you know what, what are we really, what are we really holding on to? You know, it's all about funky music. And we would have conversations with guys like George Clinton, who would, who, who would uh, say, man, y'all just keep doing what you're doing. Y'all on top of the world. You know, we, we listened to James Brown and if it had not been for James Brown and the stuff that we stole from him or we took from him or borrowed from him, we wouldn't be who we are. And they gave us another concept about it all, you know, you don't feel like you're robbing or or biting or it's all it's all music, you know what I'm saying? So we didn't look at it like that. And we stay relevant, man. You did, yeah. We stay right on top we stay right on top of the change, man. Things change, we change. You know, and we kept getting hits. Well, the thing about it too, Larry, is that I mean, uh hip hop and rap was was sampling what had been before anyway. So at least you guys were still playing, you know, and um <clears throat> and and um you know also a lot of those other groups that didn't succeed so well in the 80s they didn't keep it hard like you guys did i mean into your releases in later in the 80s when you kept having hits with the, like certified true and uh you know that stuff you were still bringing the funk yes sir and when we needed to reach out to a smarter producer or a younger producer man we did we did. We we didn't have any inhibitions about doing that. I went to uh, speaking of certified true. I went to Detroit to do that record to get that record. Um, we did that record with uh, the guy who did Shackles on Your Feet. He and his wife and I wrote that record together. RJ RJ exactly right. He and his wife and I, we sat down in the studio and we did that record. And that's one of my favorite records. We put that record together, man. It was a great sounding record. One of my better performances, you know. Enjoyed it, enjoyed it, enjoyed it. I went up there and we recut two or three songs that we had done in Memphis with RJ. Because he's a great producer, man. He was real sharp. And even though he hadn't had... Uh, one or two records, Shackles on Your Feet. He was really good in the studio. And that's what kind of kept us open. We were always open-minded about things, you know. We didn't know it all, you know. We watched guys who were good at this, good. And it didn't make a difference how many hits they had. If they had a touch in this, in this in the studio and we saw something they could add to what we were doing, we would go and we would talk with them. Come do this with me. Let's write a song together. You know, we we use Sly's drummer because we feel like he could do well on this particular song. You know, 
we we would just we would we would just reach out to people who we thought could help us do certain things, and we didn't have any problem with it, man. We, we would try to get done, get what we want to get done. How did you feel when uh, going back a little bit when uh, Holy Ghost was brought out and became such a huge hit while you guys were doing your thing at Mercury? It was a surprise to us, but it was a blessing because we, our hit at, at that time was Shine. And it was doing well, but when Holy Ghost came out, it broke in New Orleans. And I remember I remember the DJ called us and said, man, you guys need to come down here. And we said, what's going on? He said, this is your song, Holy Ghost. is like number one down here and it's, it's broken wide open, busted wide open. And we didn't really know because Fantasy had had released the record. And we found out that it was one of the hottest records in the South, man. So it was a blessing to us. We had cut the record years before that, but it was so controversial, you know. And it being a Bible belt here, the record label didn't tell us, they didn't understand, no, no, you can't release that record talking about the Holy Ghost and your love is like the Holy Ghost. Man, these preachers are going to tear you up. Prince had just got censored uh, on his, the, the uh, it was just during the time when he had to put a, they, they had a mandatory stamp on his albums, you know, all that happened at around that same time. So uh, it was a lot of stuff going against us, but it all worked out because we ended up with two hits, Shine and Holy Ghost. There goes another zero <laughs> on the... Ka-ching! Another zero. <laughs> Ka-ching on, on the performance. <laughs> but it must have created some market confusion, like people wondering, you know, where was that song on that record and, you know, like that. Uh, they figured it out. They yeah. figured it out. You know, you you they the the one thing we found out that the public will find the record if they really want it. You know, it was uh, it was something, man. It was we never had. I don't think in our whole career we had that problem ever again of having. Uh, I take the money. Money talks. There was another record. Money talks was on the fantasy label. It didn't raise as much cane and nearly as Holy Ghost, but money talks got to be a little got to be um a little popular while we had another record out on 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 uh on polygram but i tell you holy ghost at one time was the most sampled record out it was sampled more than any record out for just a period of time especially the timbalist solo did you guys get did, did did the uh deserving parties get their royalties on that not for not for a long time. Not for a long time. No, it it, it eventually, eventually the uh, people who were stamping the record started to pay you, but for a long time they didn't. But nor nor did they pay James Brown, nor did they pay George Clinton. It was a gray area for a long time, you know. But eventually they started to pay you though. Yeah. Lean back a little, Larry. Yeah. Lean back. Yeah. 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 Eventually they started to pay you. Yeah. Hey, so uh, in the early 80s, then Spies Like Us, Soulfinger became a sensation again because of that movie. Uh, yeah. You, know, you must have gained a whole new following and, and audience with that. How did that work? Well, once again, you know, it's just the luck of the draw, you know. Um, record, ended up, record ended up in the right place. <laughs> and, I, you know, kicking it old school. 
uh, head of head of state, which two had to stop came in, uh, kicking it old school, which had freak show on the dance floor. Uh, there was another big movie. Super uh, bad. Kick it old had to stop. Super, super bad. At, at right, exactly right. Um, all those were good movies. All those were good movies. They paid well. Yeah, I mean, those are six-figure movies for the rights to have those records. And I got to say, you know, um, it was kind of unheralded at the time, but you guys kept it going in the 90s. 48 Hours, I thought, was a really solid record. And um, I especially liked a track that's overlooked, I think, at the end of that, Master. That was like a real throwback to the hard bar case funk on that one. But you had great stuff throughout that. And the fact that in the mid nineties, you guys were still bringing it like that. I mean, very impressive. You know what? That was, a, that was a special album for us, man, because we, uh, we did that album with, um, basic records. Who was a, run by Johnny Phillips, who was a good business partner of ours. Um, in, in terms of he gave us a chance to do an album with his uh, distributorship, Selecto Records. Uh, we enjoyed it. We enjoyed doing the record for him. You know, he was a straight shooter, believed in the barcades, was very fair with us. Uh, the album didn't have a great deal of success, but it was. Uh, it was a good, as you said, it was a solid album, man. It was a solid album. Uh, I penned Master, and uh, I and that 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 was a a from the heart record. I did that record by myself. But that it, that album had some great. It had some uh, had some good songs on it. And I say you've done your homework too, haven't you? Like I said, I'm a fan. <laughs> you know. I see. I see, partner. You 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 digging deep. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you digging um, deep. did you ever get any pressure, Larry, to uh, break off and do something solo? You know, so many of the lead singers of those groups back then, you know, whether it's Jeffrey Osborne, whoever, they would. And I heard from a lot of the artists that the labels would often sort of try to pry them away and get them to do solo work. Did you run into any of that? Uh, you know, there were people who always wondered why I never did that. But uh, I'm sorry. There were people who always wondered why I didn't do that. But my answer was I never had a desire to do that. I had enough, always had another mountain to climb with the barcades. You know, there were so many things we wanted to do. Um, I always wanted to do another album that was better than the last one. I'm a team player. My partner and I, James Alexander, uh, were just joined to the hip, man. It's kind of like Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, L.A. and Babyface. We were like that. I, I wasn't that kind of guy who just wanted to run off and do something on my own, you know. It just wasn't anything I desired to do, you know. I had, I, I could have, but I never just desired to do that. How would you describe James and your relate? I mean, you started to describe it a little bit. But a little bit deeper, how would you describe James and the special bond and relationship you two have? We uh, we were born two days apart. 
um, best friends. Uh, we respect each other immensely. We've always given each other uh, our each other's space. And James is probably one of the hardest working guys I've ever met in my life. Very smart guy. Our roles, uh, we identified our roles from the very beginning. I'm the singer. I'm the music guy. He, I'm, I'm the guy who sort of keeps everything together from the band's band inside of the band he's the guy who goes out and makes sure business stays together you know he's uh probably one of the top five promotion guys in the country an excellent um and he and i have a label together uh jea right now records he's an excellent label guy um he has one of those memories that you know he remembers everybody's ever met in his life so he's just he possesses things that i just don't you know he he um he has a business sense that i don't have and i have a musical sense that he doesn't have so we work perfectly together but we've always given each other the space to do that we've never argued about money um I've been married uh, one time for 47 years. He's been married five times. <laughs> so he's always had to come to me for advice about marriage, which I, 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 I guess I guess I haven't been the greatest at giving it to him. But not for, he doesn't not in that sense. But he's always like, "How do you do it, Larry?" You know, and I said, "Well, I just got it right the first time." But uh, I guess the biggest thing that's kept us together is we just really love each other, man. I guess that's the, when it really boils down, that's the short answer to it. And we respect each other, man. He He's a hard worker. He's dedicated beyond belief. And he understands that I am as well. And we play good guy, bad guy very well. <laughs> In business in business we play good guy bad guy very very well and you guys had a comeback in 2012 with grown folks you know did that kind of take you by surprise a little bit or how did you feel about that experience when we left the studio my friend we knew we had a hit record when we left that studio at 12 o'clock that night we knew we were back and when we went into that studio we didn't have anything James got on James' son, Jazzy Faye, did that record. When we went into the studio, we went to it took us a year to get his attention to do it. But we went to the studio, we went to Atlanta. When we went in the studio at early that day, we just started, we, we just started from scratch. And around six o'clock we started we, we got into something we got into some chords we got into some melodies i recorded the record that night we did the whole record in about six hours and at 12 o'clock that night we had a hit record and we knew it and i mean it it turned our whole career around again 
because that record was a top 10 record in the nation, not in our hometown, but in the nation. So after not having a record in 10 years, you can imagine it was cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching one more time. And I mean, that's incredible for a band like the Barcades. When you don't have a record for that in that length of time, and then you come back with a record that does that well nationally, that shows folks you still got it. And that's what it did. And then plus it was a new approach for me vocally. It wasn't the regular Larry Dotson, raspy, hard, chunking it at you kind of vocal. This was a very mellow Larry Dotson that I attribute to those young kids just really working with me in the studio. I mean pops now. It's pops, we want to get we want a, we want a new fresh Larry Dotson on this tape. And they pulled it out of me, you know. And I'm very producible. I, I, I'm not a guy saying, you know, no, I don't want you telling me what to do. I'm not that kind of a guy. I'll sing it a thousand times, you know, if I feel you know what you're doing. Because the whole point is to get a good record. But I knew they wanted something, man. It was a, it was something that it didn't take long. A lot of magic happened. And we really got that record in six hours. Amazing. Yeah, when we walk, when we when we left the studio that night, we knew we had it. And sometimes you don't get that in your career many times. But when you get that magic, you know you got it. That anticipation was like that. Holy Ghost was like that. Move your boogie body was like that. Attitude was like that. Freak show, you said was like that. I can I can just count them on my hands what we just knew. Freak show was like that. There have been just a few that I just know off the top of my head. When we left the studio, we knew we had hit and run was like that. We knew we had a record. Some sometimes we guess we're not quite sure, you know. We have to kind of wait till the people get it and see what they do. But sometimes, you know, you've hit some magic. So what is the farewell? What was the farewell tour like? You know, how emotional was that for you? And did it go as you kind of hoped it would? Emotionally, it, it, the cities made it much easier for me because the tour was so good and they were the, the cities were so energetic and they understood what I was doing. It wasn't sad at all. And I, I told them city by city, I, I really appreciate you guys understanding what Uncle Larry's doing, man. You know, I'm not leaving you guys. I'm going to be here. But, you know, my time is up, you know, and. I, I don't know how to explain it, but this every city I went to, you know, it, it wasn't oh it wasn't that. It was just cheering every night and it made it very pleasant and easy for me to pull the curtain down, so to speak. Uh and you know, as far as the tour itself is it, it, it was it was just something we needed to do, you know, just for, for me to say goodbye, you know. But it wasn't it wasn't sad at all, man. It was really it was very cool. You really want to know the truth. <laughs> it was very cool. I was just really glad that the people took the attitude that they did and they didn't make it hard for me, you know. What was the last song that you did? Anticipation. Yeah. No, 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 no. Freak show. Okay. Freak show. Absolutely. I left on freak show. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, before we part ways, I want you to tell me a little bit about your book, um, what inspired it. And you mentioned you're going to do another one. So what's with that? 
Okay, so the book is called And the Band Plays On. It took me about two and a half years to do it, uh, only because I started and stopped. I was touring, and and uh, I'm, I, I, I'm not an, an author that has done books before, so it was very new for me. My son inspired me. You know, he and I would sit down. He handles my day-to-day and my week-to-week uh, calendar. So I, we would sit down in the mornings and he would say, we would talk and I would tell him stories about stuff that happened on the road and things that happened in the past. And he said, Papa, you know, you really need to write a book and let people know something about the history of your life. And and I and I didn't take him seriously at first. And I thought about it. I said, you know what, maybe so. Maybe I'll keep some notes and we'll see what happens. And I did. And he helped me to find a real good editor. And it, it started like that uh, a couple of years ago. and. He pushed me and he pushed me and he pushed me. And then I got involved. I started to really, really, just really dig deep. And my editor, Sheila Bell, she inspired me and she encouraged me to be real candid, to dig deep. And I did, man. And I said things in the book that I've never said to anybody, you know. And I, every time I tried to gloss over stuff, she would send my notes back. She said, oh, no. She said, no. You dig deep, you tell the truth, and don't be ashamed of what, you know, to, to, to really tell the truth. And if it hurts, it makes you say, ouch, a little bit. Just, you know, just know you got through it. It'll be therapeutic for you. And it was. And uh, as I started to write, I really got hooked. So I finished this book. It's called And the Band Plays On. And then I, we have a special needs daughter, a Down syndrome daughter. So, uh, my wife, I started on my, the next book, which is called Keep Looking Up When It's Downs. And it's, it's all about the journey of my wife and I raising my daughter. Her name is Precious. And she's a success story. She's, she's been able to take care of herself and, 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 and get in the workforce. So, again, it was a therapeutic. It is very therapeutic for us to write about it. And it's going to be therapeutic for, for parents to pick this book up read it and understand that having a Down syndrome child is not a death sentence because when they read our book, they're going to understand that our journey has been one that is, has been uh, that of rewarding and challenging, but it is a light at the end of the tunnel. And you don't have to put your kid in the room, back room, and it's going to be just so therapeutic, but I had to have my wife help me write it because she has been the glue with me. She's been, we've been married 47 years. And I also have two other titles I'm going to write behind it. So now I'm an author. So I've already been accepted at Essence, um, the Tom Johnny Cruz for this year. And I'm, I'm enjoying writing, man. I'm enjoying writing. I really, really am. Um, it's, it's challenging for me. And uh, I never thought, I never in a million years, thought I would enjoy writing like I am, you know. So that's kind of it for me. I was going to ask. I, we can't keep the book. I, I was going to ask you if, you know, when you were 19 and just getting with the Barquets, if someone told you that almost 50 years later, you would have accomplished what you've accomplished and be an author and all that, what would you have told them? Oh, no. I was, I, no, I, I never in a million years, man. You just never know what life has, what, what God has for you. You know, he's, He's kept me a mighty long way, man. 
That's beautiful. And I'm most appreciative. Well, is there uh, any way that uh, fans can keep up with you now that you retire? What's the best way for them to do that? Just go to our website, www.thebarcase.com. It's all right there. They can get the book. They can understand what the Barcase is doing. They can follow us on Twitter. They can follow us on Facebook. And they can understand what the Barcase is doing and tour-wise, what I'm doing, and everything. And, man, I really appreciate you coming into getting the backstage pass for me today. And I've given you a lot of time, man. <laughs> I, I hope you have a good interview. Oh, I, I so appreciate it. Okay. And just God bless you, Larry, for all the amazing music you've given all of us all these years and, and for everything that you've done. And thank you so much for sharing your, your time in this interview with that, too. Appreciate it. Thank you and happy birthday, partner. Hey, same to you. Thank you. And there you have it. A huge thanks to my special guest, the Barquez Larry Dodson one of the most important and accomplished funk singers of all time. Also, sincere thank you to viewers and listeners. Thank you so much for the continued interest and faith. Be sure to look out for upcoming Truth and Rhythm episodes and catch up with previous installments at funkandstuff.net on YouTube, iTunes, and other leading providers. And we want to hear from you. Drop me an email at scottg at funkandstuff.net. Let me know what you like, what you don't like, and who else you want to see on the show. It's your show. This is for you, the music fan. So until next time, as always, this is Scott, Dr. GX Goldfine, saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one.